0: Good morning everyone. Thank you for welcoming us again into your home. I do hope this morning that you are perhaps fellowshipping with a few saints. Uh, We're encouraging you to gradually begin to regather. I think that's the spirit of God's desire for the saints. Hebrews 12 says don't forsake. Hebrews 10 says don't forsake assembling together. So we do hope that you are beginning to have a few folks over. We're having some folks over and just just worshiping and praying and studying the word together. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 90. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, I just want to mention a quick upcoming event. Uh, This Thursday at 7 p.m., Pastor Austin's going to be leading us online in something we've never done before, but it's called a guided lament and a prayer for the country and the church. A lament is a way to express our, our sorrow and to mourn together. It's very biblical to lament. And this is uh, our response to the current racial issues. I've found personally that it's such a delicate issue and we need to really think and pray about what we say. So as a majority white church, we believe that the most appropriate starting point for us is to be sensitive to the cries and pains of our fellow black Americans In other words, to understand what Romans 12 means when it says, weep with those who weep. So you're invited to come and learn how biblically, this isn't just some psychological idea, but biblically how to mourn and empathize with our fellow black Americans and to pray to God for grace to bring about transformation in our nation through the power of the gospel. So I hope many of you will be able to join us for that. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 90. And this psalm has a special place for me for a number of reasons, including the fact that it has become, uh, it was the stimulus for Isaac Watts' famous hymn, "O God, Our Help in Ages Past. And I still remember singing this psalm at my father's funeral. In fact, in the history of the Christian church, Psalm 90 was sung or recited along with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at funerals. And it is interesting, there's a little nursery rhyme called ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. But the reality is that that particular little ditty had to do with the time of the bubonic plague when they were burying people. So, Psalm 90 is an excellent psalm because it reminds us of the grandeur and the longevity and the eternality of our great God as we contrast it with our frail, tiny time upon the earth. In fact, it's interesting, if if you look carefully at a gravestone, it'll have a year, which is birth, and then a year, which is death and then a little dash in between. And someone once suggested that the entirety of our life is simply a dash between the dots. And so Psalm 90 is a, a really cool psalm because it's written by Moses. And I think it was written by Moses. I'm going to guess that Moses wrote this near the end of his life. But I want you to remember something really significant about Moses, and that is that during the 40 years that he led the children of Israel in the wilderness, that an entire generation died. Now, we don't know exactly how many people were in the wilderness with Moses, but based on the numbers that we see in in the Torah, it's been suggested that there were over a million people. And let's assume that to be safe, we'll say at least half of them were adults who were the generation that were told that they're gonna die and be laid low in the wilderness. So doing the math, even if it was 500,000 people that died over a period of 40 years, 34 people a day were dying in the wilderness. And that's a very um, conservative estimate. So later on in life, I want you to think about how Moses was observing this very difficult experience of watching so many people die. Now, the Bible tells us that Moses was a friend of God. In fact, Psalm 90 begins with this great introduction, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And the Bible tells us in other passages that God spoke with Moses face to face. So it interests me to think here how Moses was observing and mourning the death of people all around him, but he also was conversing with God and he was reflecting on some of the things that God had taught him. In fact, Remember that God had taught him how creation began. No one was alive when God spoke the earth into existence over those seven days that are mentioned in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And so this was either passed on orally through Adam and so forth, but probably there was some direct revelation from God. In addition to the fact that, remember, Moses wrote not only Genesis 1 about creation, but he wrote Genesis 3, in which the curse entered into the world, in which when Adam and Eve sinned, death began its process. And that famous verse where God put the curse upon Adam, and he said, from the dust you came and to the dust, you will return. So as Moses is reflecting later on in his life, he had a disappointment that he personally had to deal with he was not going to be able to enter the promised land. You remember that sometime during that 40-year journey, he blew it. God said, you failed to treat me as holy before the people, and so you're not going to be able to enter the land. And so Moses was able to go to Mount Pisgah, which was on the eastern side of the Jordan. He was able to look across the Jordan River and to see the promised land, but he was never able to personally enter that land in this life, and yet that river through scripture and then history became a symbol of death. And then crossing over from Mount Pisgah became a symbol of going to be with the Lord. In fact, we we, we sing in sweet hour of prayer, and from Mount Pisgah's lofty height, I'll view my home and take my flight. And so Moses was contemplating death. But this beautiful Psalm gives us a wonderful way to regroup and think about our life as a dash between the dots and making our life count during this short time that we are here. So let's read the first part of the Psalm, verses one and two, where Moses reflects on the longevity of God, on the fact that God is eternal. Verse 1 reads, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you did give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now let's start with this word, Lord. There are a number of names of god in the old testament this hebrew word adonai has to do with god being your master later on in the psalm this, moses says in verse 13 be sorry for your servants and so to call god adonai is to willingly be in submission to him to to say i am your servant and i acknowledge that you're my master And that's interesting because it makes us wonder how many people call Jesus Lord and yet have no place in their heart to see him in any way as a master, as any way as an authority figure in their life. In fact, Jesus said, why would you call me Lord if you won't do what I say? But Moses, as he addresses God, he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Now, would you just pause and think about that? Um, when I'm trying to get to somebody's house, I'll say, hey, can you text me your address? Where do you live? Imagine somebody writing back, God. Wait, that, that doesn't, I'm putting that in my GPS. What does it mean to say, God, you are my dwelling place? Is this true of all of humanity? Does everyone live in God? There's almost like this, strange symbiotic relationship in the Bible. God lives in believers, but in a certain way believers live in God. And I want you to consider that perhaps this is not something that all of us can say. It's only those who have committed their lives to Christ, those who have given themselves to Christ, those who have entrusted themselves and said, Lord, uh, believe in you and I want to follow you. In fact, in Psalm 91, verse 9, the psalmist said, you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. So if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to change your address. If your address is just you, you need to change that and give your life to God and begin to abide in him and to dwell in his presence. But then the, the, the psalmist Moses here reflects on creation, and he brings forth an imagery that is really pretty fascinating. He says, he uses the imagery of giving birth. And of course, lately we've seen a number of babies. I don't wanna leave anybody out, but congratulations to all of you new parents who have brought forth very recently. But he describes creation itself as some sort of a birth, that that God's creation was like giving birth. He said, before the mountains were born, Now, in what way were the mountains born? Well, we do remember that when God created the earth, it was covered with water. And so when he separated the waters from the dry land, the the mountains sort of burst out of the womb of the water into uh, their existence. He said, Lord, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Often when I think of that verse, I think of a timeline. I think how God's timeline goes in both directions without ever stopping. Everything else has a timeline, but it has a punctual starting point. In a certain sense, we will live on into an everlasting life, either with the Lord or in everlasting punishment. But we're not everlasting in both directions. As profound as this verse is, this is really the answer that we give to our children when they say, mommy and daddy, who made God? Where did he come from? Well, the Bible actually tells us that he didn't come from anything. He always is, from everlasting to everlasting. But then notice that Moses says, you are God. What does that mean to say, you are God? In fact, there seems to be a sense in the Bible that when we call God, God, that there's a uniqueness to that. You are God and there's nothing else like you. There's two categories, God, the creator, and everything else. God is distinct. This is why he said, to whom will you liken me? There's not an image we can compare him to. God and God alone is our great, awesome, unique, profound, incomprehensible creator to whom we will answer one day. Everlasting God. Now, after opening with this sort of reflection about how he's ever dwelt in God and God has always been the shelter of his people and God has created us and he's eternal, he now moves to the brevity of human life. We, we, we use the phrase, here today, gone tomorrow. And there are a number of analogies in scripture about how, how fast our lives go by. The Bible describes us in, like, like in James chapter 4, it says, our life is like a vapor that appears today and is gone tomorrow. So in verses 3 through 6, Moses stops to reflect on the brevity of life. And and what's interesting is we probably don't do enough of this. I think young people especially think that they have unlimited time and it is worthwhile to stop and think about the brevity of life. So look with me in verse 3. He uses numerous phrases to describe how our life is fleeting. He says in verse 3, you turn man back into dust, and you res- and you say, "Return, O children of men." Now, actually, that could be translated, "Return, O children of Adam." Clearly, here he's thinking about Genesis three, when God said to Adam, "From the dust you were created, to the dust you will return." And so there'll be a a, a, a fleeting period of time when we're six feet above the dust but bear in mind it won't be long till we're six feet under and decaying back into the dust awaiting the resurrection he then says a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night god's relationship to time is so profound that that's hard to hard to get our minds around that that with god a watch in the night, just a few hours, a thousand years is really no different to God than a few hours. Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, where he looks down at all the nations of the earth and he says, yeah, they're, they're like a drop in the bucket. Again, notice the, the brevity of human life. You have swept them away like a flood. Now again, does, does Moses picture here the the great flood of Genesis six, or is he just using an analogy of how quickly a sand castle or something of that nature could just be washed away and it's over another analogy. They fall asleep. What, what an interesting analogy in the Bible for death. It's sleep. The scriptures describe believers as having fallen asleep. Now, let me remind you, if you're a Christian, when you fall asleep in Jesus, you immediately are in his presence. You don't just sleep in the ground, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. A little boy once asked his dad, hey dad, what's it like to die? And his dad says, I don't know, but I think it's like this. He said, you know how you sleep in my bed at night at times when you're scared? And he said, yeah. He said, where do you wake up in the morning? Little boy said, well, I fall asleep in your bed, but I wake up in my bed. He said, well, how'd you get there? He said, I guess when I fall asleep, you carried me there. So let me remind you, brothers and sisters, as, as we come closer to our own death, that for us when we close our eyes for that final sleep, it's just that brief moment when Luke 16 says we're carried by the angels and we fly away to be with Jesus. Now we see an analogy that's often used in scripture to compare humans to grass. The Bible says in the morning, verse five, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. What a, what a illustration of the, the transience of our life, how quickly our lives fly by. It reminds me of our famous passage in Isaiah 40. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And so as tough and, and sturdy as we think we are, the reality is, we're very ephemeral. We're very temporal and our lives are flying by. Even the, the, the secular songwriters saw it. Time keeps on ticking into the future. But now Moses reflects a little more deeply because he, he realizes that that just doesn't seem to be the way it ought to be. I mean, after all, Moses is the one who wrote that God created everything and saw that it was very good. Well, if it's very good why are our lives being snuffed out in such a swift fashion? And so here he's going to hone in more on the depravity of man and the reason for death. The reason for death is because the world has rebelled against God. We don't think about that enough. We don't think about the fact that the only reason why there's death and disaster and destruction on this planet is because Creation and mankind has shaken their fist and said to Adonai, no. Let's read together in verse seven. He says, we have been consumed by your anger. By your wrath, we have been dismayed. Now, as I thought about that, I thought, is he thinking just in general of God's judgment of death? Or is he thinking particularly about those 40 years of the wilderness. I did some, some poking around and I found that in Hebrews 3:17 it does say, God was angry for those 40 years. In Numbers 14, it does say, your sons will be shepherd for 40 years until your corpses lie in the wilderness. So when he says, we've been consumed by your anger and your wrath, he may have been thinking of that specific period during the wilderness wandering, but It may just be a general truth that because of sin, we're all going to die. Look at verse eight. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. That's a rather daunting verse when you think about it. We are very clever. As sinners, we have the profound ability not only to deceive ourselves, but to deceive others about who we really are and what we do in secret. It's often brought out in the Bible to remember that while you might be fooling some of the people, you may even be fooling all of the people. One person that you're not fooling is God. And so it's a good idea to bear in mind that one day our secret sins will be brought to light. In fact, while we're wearing masks, during the coronavirus, it might be worthwhile to ask yourself, do you have another mask that you need to get rid of, the mask of your secret life? You can't go back and undo that secret life, but what you can do as you move forward is to repent of that because the Bible says one day God will disclose the things that we've done in secret. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. And so if you have a double life and and, and you're really behind closed doors, very different from whom you pretend to be in front of others. Could I encourage you from this psalm to turn from that and ask God to cleanse you and move in a different direction? Notice the downward spiral. Verse 9, all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. That's pretty depressing. (sighs) We breathe our last. Is that really how we view life? How old do you want to live to? I often wonder if I could know when and how I'm going to die, would would I, would I want to? Moses looked around and bear in mind now that it wasn't impossible for patriarchs to live almost a thousand years. So it's interesting as you think back to the book of Genesis, Methuselah was up in the 900s. So in, in, in a sense, Methuselah lived almost a thousand years in God's sight It's a day, But by the time of Moses, people were living much shorter lives. And so verse 10 says, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70 years. Uh, in fact, the King James says three score in 10. So, so the idea I think he would probably say is on average, if you make it to 70, you ought to be pretty glad you did well. You were blessed. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Now bear in mind that Moses died at 120 years and the Bible goes out of the way to mention that he was still just as strong and full of vigor when he died. So Moses was by far an exception. My wife, bought a birthday card for her sisters this week that was very funny. It had two quite elderly ladies and they were standing what looked like in a a department store and the one whispers over to her sister, oh, look at those two ladies over there. In about 30 years, we're gonna look like that. And her sister looks over at her and goes, that's a mirror you're looking at. What we don't realize is our lives are spiraling and so as those of you brothers and sisters who are uh, up, up in years who are the the, the crown of glory and uh, the wise libraries of our church we thank god for you and let me encourage you to not think that your life is over we need you to mentor to pray to encourage and to be a blessing and we thank god for you But notice that Moses, as he sums up life, it sounds so futile. It sounds like the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 10 says, their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Now don't miss that, we fly away, because that obviously has become a great chorus. I'll fly away, O glory. And so as we wind this Psalm down now, it's time for us to take to heart some things we can learn. You say, all right, I'm, I'm shuttling along at rocket pace through life and suddenly a pandemic hits and I'm caused to sit for a moment and think about life and its brevity. In fact, another place where we're caused to sit, about, sit and think about death is at a funeral. Ecclesiastes chapter seven actually says this. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Now, if you ask me, that sounds like the stupidest thing I ever heard. But then it says this because at a funeral we remember that's the end of every man. And so while we're still alive, we take it to heart. So Moses has something for us as Christians today. You see, we read this in the light of the new covenant. We don't read this Psalm from the same perspective Moses does with the futility and the sorrow and the law and death. We now read this on the other side of Calvary under the new covenant. And we read this Psalm through the lens of Christ. So I want to close as we read these final verses with some ways that we can apply this to our own experience. Number one, Moses asks a question in verse 11, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? The first thing I want you to think about here is all of us need to take God more seriously. We need to take God more seriously. You see, As we look at what's going on in this world with the coronavirus, I read something that I thought was pretty interesting that John Piper said in his book, I shared another quote from this, but he said, you know, as we're watching people die all around us, futility, bondage to corruption, groaning, these are images of global devastation and misery since sin entered the world. And so as we think about this, we have to understand that why did God bring judgment into the world for sin? It's because Adam and Eve defied God. And in response to this moral rebellion, God put the physical world under a curse so that the physical horrors we see, like death, become a vivid picture of how horrible sin is. Physical evil is a drama, and death is a signpost pointing us to the moral outrage of rebellion against God. And so let's pray, not that we'll be terrified of God, but that we will take God more seriously. Who can understand the power of your anger according to the fear that is due you, that we'll have a deeper respect and a reverence for God. Number two, as we think about the psalm, let's move forward asking God to help us to use our time more wisely look at verse 12 teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom you know who numbers their days kids as they look forward to their birthday and engage couples as they look forward to their wedding but in general to, to stop and reflect and to remember that there's 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. This is an important thing to ask yourself, how are you using your time? Ask God to help you to use it more wisely. Jesus said in John nine verse four, we must work the works of him who sent us while it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. And so ask God, Ephesians five sixteen says, don't be foolish, but understand the, what the will of the Lord is. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Ask God, could, could I have one more Zoom meeting? Could I, could I read my Bible before I watch television? Could I spend more time with my kids? Could I, could I change the way that I, I use my vacation time? Ask God to use your time more wisely. And then also, it's important that we remember the new covenant reality let's not forget that we live in a very privileged time and even location it's a privilege in my opinion to live in america with all of its problems i still consider it a privilege to live in america but more importantly as a christian we need to understand just how blessed we are to live on this side of calvary at that transitional time when jesus came to earth he said to his disciples Blessed are your eyes and ears that see and hear the things. For many righteous men long to see the things that you see and hear, but they didn't. And so look with me in verse 13. The psalmist is praying for something that we've already experienced. He said, do return, O Lord. Do return. How long will it be? And have compassion or be sorry for your servants. I don't think he's praying here for the second coming. I think he's praying for the coming of God's solution to the disaster of sin and death, the coming of Christ. What did Moses know about the new covenant? It's hard to say, but we do know that Moses knew that God would raise up a prophet like him one day. And so I think in essence, he's praying for for the new covenant when god would come to earth and he would be sorry for his servants and he has come to earth and he has shown enormous compassion for us and that he sent his son jesus to die on the cross and so for us rather than praying that god would send something to take care of our sin we can rejoice we can remember that thank god that the lord sent jesus to deal with our sin as a result of that verses 14 and 15 then teach us this that we can pray for a spirit-filled satisfaction in life. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing people complain about the virus, tired about the complaints that there's a shortage of this and a shortage of that. Now, I don't wanna mix that with the fact that this is a time for lament, but this is a little bit different from just the attitude of privilege and entitlement that we often have. And so notice this prayer, and I, and I want to encourage you that this is something that God can pour out on us. He said, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Is that okay? Is it okay to pray that God will make us glad? Of course it is. Look at verse 15. He says, make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil now I want to suggest that the primary way that God makes us glad is not by blessing us with winning the lottery it's as he fills us with the Holy Spirit as we're spending time with God and delighting ourselves in Jesus and we're walking in the Spirit of God the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And so pray for me. I want to be glad. I want God to take the oil of gladness and pour it out on my head. And I know that that comes as I yield to God and ask him to fill me with the spirit of God. But then also, it's important for us to pray and pay attention to God's blessings Look at verse 16. Pray and pay attention to God's blessings. He said, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of our God be upon us. You know, I did something about a month ago that really struck me. I started thinking of the significant God moments in my life. I thought about how he lifted me out of my depression. I thought about how he took my son that my wife and I had been so grieved as he had become a heroin addict and how God rescued him and turned him into a man of God. I thought about how my daughter lived so far away in Arizona and how I longed to see those grandchildren. And year after year I prayed and now they live three houses away. I thought about my granddaughter with this lifelong illness and and how God has miraculously just raised her up and strengthened her. And on and on my wife and I went. I thought about the troubles that we experienced at times in our marriage and the healing and the blessings he's brought into our lives. I wanna encourage you to pay attention. Don't just pray for God's favor, but pay attention. He says, Lord, let your work appear to your servants. Look around and be grateful. If you need to keep a diary, but count your blessings, name them one by one and teach them to your children. But then finally, the last thing Moses does as he reflects on his dash between the dots is he says, God, let the works of my hand count for eternity. Let me do something that's going to make a difference. It reminds me of that famous, famous saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Notice he says in the final phrase of verse 17, confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. What does that mean? I think it means that God would do work through us that lasts. Now I want you to just ponder that for a moment. What does that mean, work that lasts? Jesus said, I sent you that you might bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The only lasting work that's done is work that's done for God, that work that advances his kingdom. This doesn't mean you need to be a preacher. This doesn't mean you need to be a missionary in the jungle. It means that you're living your life for the Lord, that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for Christ. And you're asking God to make it last let it make a difference. I pray every day, I say, Lord, use me. I ask the Lord, open up doors for me to speak to someone about Christ. I pray as Jesus taught us to pray in John 15, Father, let me bear fruit so that the Father may be glorified. I pray 2 Thessalonians one. O oh Lord, fulfill every desire that you give me for goodness, every work of faith with power that the name of Jesus will be glorified. Brothers and sisters, God wants to use you. He wants to use you in the lives of your family, of your friends, of your enemies, of your neighbors. He wants to use you to win people. He wants to use you to disciple people. He wants you to use you to give and share and to make a difference. Lord, confirm the work of our hands. And the beauty of this is is you don't need to go and come up with some crazy new thing. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has created us for good works which he's prepared beforehand. God has work for you and me to do. And all we need to do is to be available, to be surrendered. So this morning, as we think about the grandeur of God and the frailty of man, let's close by thanking God that he's already had compassion on us through Christ. And though our lives are fleeting, they can count. And I want to encourage you to seek to live a life with eternity in view. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great... Psalm of Moses. Oh Lord, I'll be the first one to say, I waste time and I'm ashamed of this. Help me to do more for Christ. Help me to pray more, witness more, give more, love more, laugh more. Fill us with the Holy Spirit in all of our troubles and sorrows. May we make a difference. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. May you pour out upon us a fullness of your spirit that makes our church fruitful, even in the midst of these circumstances. Bring healing to our land, and may we be Christians who show love. Jesus, we call you our Adonai because we acknowledge that we are your servants, and we pray that through us, you will use us as your hands and feet. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to fear God and to walk in obedience. Teach us to be full of joy and rejoicing, even when we don't feel like it. And make us a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have any desire to come to a relationship with Christ, my email will be up there. If there's anything that I can help you with, point you to the Lord Jesus and tell you how you can know for sure that you can have forgiveness of sins through Christ's work on the cross. Feel free to email me at the email on your screen. God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.